Mike Rizzo the general manager Dave Martinez the field manager here they are one strike away one out away three two here it is the Washington Nationals are world champions for the first time in franchise history every sports fan has an opinion well these are ours ours Welcome to Brock and Pep's Unsportsmanlike Convo. And here are your hosts, Brock Fleming and Pep Cariotti. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Halloween to everybody. <laughs> it's a big night. It's, it's Halloween. Big night for the kids. It is a big night for the kids. It's a big night for the parents who like candy. <laughs> Did you dress up? Uh, I didn't. No? No. Um, it's pouring rain outside. Yeah. Yes. We went out pretty early and we got you know up and down the street and Jackson's bag got full. I think the neighbors were literally dumping candy into the bags because they knew there wasn't going to be anybody really out. Um, so we had a full, a full bag pretty quick and enough where Jackson was like, hey, I'm done. Like, uh, let's just go home. Okay, <laughs> so I know this was a hot topic on CTV and CBC, but like, legit, would it have been a better idea to, to just have this tomorrow? No. No, Halloween doesn't work that way. It's not, unless you had it, you know, everybody agrees that it's, uh, you know, I know one of the suggestions was have it the last Saturday of October. Okay, Maybe. But Halloween is October 31st. For those who are diehard Halloween people, October <laughs> 31st is the day. How many times did you, as a kid, go trick-or-treating and it was snowing outside? I remember, going, I remember being snowing. I remember going to football practice for the first couple hours with my face painted so I can race home and get a couple hours in a trick-or-treating later. Uh, yeah, I was yeah. 26 at the time. But anyway, it was whatever. <laughs> <laughs> But you chalk it up. You just say, hey, it's a, it's a bad weather Halloween. It was rainy. It was cold. And, uh, hey, let's see what happens next year. But in 2019, the weather wasn't great, but we, uh, we raced out there. We braved the rain and the weather, and we got our, our load of candy. That's what Halloween is. Hey, man, I, you know, uh, I commend parents and the kids who got out there. Uh, I live in a, sort of a, an urban, very urban area. I don't, there's not a whole lot of, I don't get a lot of kids uh, in this area. There are actually more kids. I'm, I'm surprised at how many kids live in my neighborhood, but um, we don't get a ton of kids here. Uh, but in the past, I've helped, uh, you know, past girlfriends, you know, dish out candy. And I, I actually enjoy more so giving out the candy at the door than I did uh, taking the kids out for a walk. Uh, I don't know, as a parent, what's your preference to you? Yeah. Uh... I mean, you're home. Obviously, being home is always more preferable, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I prefer being out and walking around, I think. Uh, that seems to be less effort than... It seems like when I'm at home giving out candy, I always sit down to... Uh, there's a show on or something. You're watching TV when you're waiting for kids to show up. But yeah. getting comfortable on the couch just to have some kid knock on the door, I started to get a little bit irritated. Like, uh, just take <laughs> That's it. a good point, actually. You know, so I was more apt yeah. to just shut the lights off and say, just let me watch my show, whatever it is. <laughs> but with the kids today, you know, we're outside, we're walking around. So I'm already out there. You know, there's other parents on the street and they got their kids from school and stuff. So, you know, you're just kind of socializing a bit. It, the weather, again, was not great this year, but 
there's a, I was talking to a buddy of mine, Rob, who's got a couple of kids down the street that go to the same school as mine. And uh, we were talking today and we're like, oh, where was that guy that gave out the shots of Bailey's to the parents last year? And there was a couple of, you know, like guys that cater to parents. So now uh, we're talking Halloween. <laughs> you'd, you'd see, you know, some mothers walk around with the, the travel coffee mugs where it's, you know, hot chocolate and Bailey's or they're, you know, they're drinking, they got wine, that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. So some people, they do it properly. This one is, again, it's a write-off because of the, the, the weather, but um, that's Halloween. Moving on to next year. Let me tell you, buddy. Halloween is the uh, is the official like it's like the green flag for the race to Christmas. Like what now? It's from here on. Tomorrow's November first. From here on in, it's basically like a race to Christmas, and uh, it's crazy, man. This year has gone by. Twenty nineteen has just flown by faster than Ugh. any year I can recall. It's nuts. Oh yeah, what the hell are, it's crazy. It's what happens when you get old. Yeah, it's wild. Uh, time isn't standing still anymore, but uh, I got to tell you, B, uh, we have uh, a full agenda. Last week we got together at your brother's and it was a great time. We had chips. We had laughs. Uh, <laughs> we had no organization. We, actually, we we had we had a template and we had, uh, you know, we had a schedule planned, but just we just took a lot longer than we anticipated. And that's cool. And that's going to happen when we're having a good time. And hopefully the uh, hopefully you know our listeners got something out of out of our uh, right. our podcast but today we're going to try and stay on track for the sake of our listeners for the sake of you and I cuz you know it's been a long day for you bringing the kids out uh, i'm getting over what appeared to be about a 20 hour awful cold um feeling better though uh Good. thankfully and i'm i'm very very sad that i missed uh, and i don't want to spend any much time on this but i'm very very sad that i i missed hanging out with the boys last night. You know, it's not that often that that particular group of people get together uh, mm -hmm. to see a friend of ours do a comedy show. That was that was a, another sort of another topic. But Yeah, that's like, too bad. For, we missed you last night. It was a really yeah, good man. group. Um, you know, shout out to uh, Big Mikey who showed up. I hadn't seen him for way too long so it was really nice to see him out and enjoying himself and getting yeah. you know, T-Dog in the in the uh, in the mix and uh, and Big Davis and my brother and it was um we had a lot of laughs, you know, uh, a lot of, a lot of drinks, a lot of laughs, and then hit the comedy show and, um, you know, just kept the night on then caught the end of game seven. So anyway, it was a fantastic night. Hopefully we'll do it again, uh, soon, get those guys together and you'll be uh, hopefully feeling better and, and show up this time. Yes, but, sir. Um, oh, yeah, I was, was in rough was shape, great. my friend. <laughs> <laughs> not good i had to leave work just a tad early if you know what i'm saying if you know what i mean i hear you i hear uh, you i've been there um so you ever listen to this podcast like after we've recorded it yeah i find myself so i listen to it sometimes when i'm at costco or i'm shopping and yeah. uh i caught myself the last few times laughing out loud at our <laughs> insanity and i just i think does anybody else enjoy this as much as we do? But uh, hopefully they do to a certain degree. But I laugh at our ridiculousness all the time when I listen to our show. And I just wonder, I'm like, who? what are these listeners actually thinking? Uh, the, the feedback I've received has been nothing but positive. Like, they, uh, they clearly understand that we've known each other for a long time. They can sense that. And, uh, you know, they, I think there's a, li a little levity in... in when you're talking about anything serious is always like a little a more appealing to, uh, to our listener. I think when you, when it's, everything's business, like it, it can get tedious and it gets dull on the ears. So we try to keep it light. You know, anyone who knows both of us know we like to laugh. So, um, 
there's just uh, sport makes us happy, buddy. And I think it comes through the microphone. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's good. I'm glad. Yeah, man. There's something else. Well, I was speaking just of sports, say, I can't even think of what oh. it was now. Anyway, you got, you got something else, pal? The, uh, there was something on the tip of my tongue. I literally was going to bring that up, and then I can't even. Oh, t-shirts, shirts. The order is out. Uh, Big Nads has come back, said that we're going to get them around November 13th. There's a bit of a two-week push-off right now or delay. Said it's no problem, but t-shirts are coming. So for those who have asked for them, uh, bear with us. As soon as we get them, we'll throw them up on uh, our Facebook page, Instagram, all that kind of stuff, and let you know on the podcast as well when you guys can order them. But those are coming soon. Fantastic. And they're, right. and they're going to be great. And we uh, appreciate anybody who's buying one who's uh, already placed an order. And we're certainly going to appreciate the further business we get, uh, you know, just to rock, rock a raglan and uh, have our logo. You know, they're kind of nice. And our logo is kind of cool. I like it. All right. Yeah. Well, on to business, I suppose. Um, we got a lot to talk about. We've got uh, some hoops. We got, we're going to shoot up a little bit about the World Series. Um, our NFL roundup, the trade deadline came and went. Uh, there's some winners and a, certainly some losers. Brock will end this, this segment and the show, I should say, with uh, his college pigskin roundup. Uh, our prediction for tonight, hopefully we'll get to it before the kickoff. Probably not, but that's okay. And uh, we'll go from there. So starting off our show today, Brock, I, uh, the NBA is in its, now it's in, in its second week. And uh, we're starting to see... You know, sort of who's who. I, I I don't buy, oh, it's only two games in. It's only three games in. You know, if you've been watching sport long enough, and if you've been watching basketball long enough, you get a sense of what teams are after a few games. Like, it's not rocket science. If they can shoot, they can shoot. If they can't, they can't. Will they gel in a, after 20 games? Yeah, probably. Will they look better by midseason? For sure. But you see what a team is. Even if it's three or four games in, you can see what a team is and what they have to offer. And there's some really interesting teams that... If I'm the West and the East, I'm going to look out for a couple of teams. Um, but before I get to those teams, Steph Curry broke his hand yesterday. Uh, it's not a shooting hand. It's his offhand, but he's going to require surgery, which should mean he's going to be out for a couple of months. They're already without Clay Thompson. They've dealt KD. They've lost Sean Livingston to retirement. Andre Iguodala is with Memphis. I don't even think he's playing. They want to buy him out. The Practically their whole team from last year, Quinn Cook, is now with the Lakers. They basically have 10 new guys in a 15-man rotation. Now they lose Curry. They're stuck with Draymond Green is really the only holdover on a team that is just a hot mess on defense. I've watched. Uh, so yesterday they were down 72 to 46 at halftime. Uh, they ended up losing to the Suns by 20. And the game before they were playing OKC, which is a, that's a one in four team. And they were down by 40 at halftime. Jeez. Defense is for yeah, defense is for sure an issue. They uh, they haven't addressed. They picked up Willie Cauley Stein from Sacramento. He's a bit of a defensive plugger, but he, not much else. Uh, but they have nobody. It's Swiss cheese defense. D'Angelo Russell is not a defensive guy. In fact, his offense isn't even there right now. They are in big trouble. But Matt Putve brought up a good point. Back in 1998, I believe the Spurs. David Robinson got hurt. The Spurs were brutal. I think they won 17 or 18 games. They ended up with the first pick of the in the draft. Get ended up getting Tim Duncan. So they went from like first to worst to first again uh, because of an injury. Mm. Is that something that can happen to the Warriors? We'll see. I want your take though on the Warriors. Let's say let's say Steph Curry doesn't get hurt and they still have Steph Curry, Draymond Green, 
for this season. They don't have Clay Thompson. What, uh, have you watched any of their basketball so far? Or have you just been reading the articles and seeing how bad they are on defense? Have, Most any of, thoughts on yeah. that? I mean, because they play so late 90% of the time, I don't catch a lot of their games. I do follow up and see how they did, and I see the interviews, and I see the biggest thing for me is uh, it's kind of the body language with these stars in terms of interviews after the game and sort of just trying to get a feel for you know maybe what the locker room uh aura is at this point and uh there's some questions in golden state and i think now with steph breaking his hand i think there's there's seriously some 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 concerns as to how they're going to do this year you bring up a good point and matt obviously brought it up but uh within the spurs when you lose a guy of uh, a steph curry's caliber so if you lose one of your top guys for the year, obviously your your team is going to take a dip. And if you dip all the way down to allow for a first overall pick or even a top three pick, that is huge for the, the following year. If you get now you're getting that first pick and you're getting a, a perennial all-star back the year after. And it's and it's, Clay Thompson. And Clay well, yeah, that's two. Yeah. So two yeah. out of their I dare say three because Draymond Green can. Anyway, they're those two guys yeah. are the two, are their two best players, and they're both hurt. So it's not even a, a question of like, oh, they really shit the bed this year and they were tanking to get it. They got two legit injuries that could be significant playing time. So that's tough to get out of. That it may work out really well for them moving forward. They sit at one and three right now. Um, again, we're, uh, we are four games in. I understand, but I've seen again. I've seen enough basketball. Uh, defense travels well, as they say in every sport, right? You can, your defense can travel well if you have a good defense. You're in every game. The Clippers are a good example of that. Last year, no superstars on the Clippers. They ended up forty-one and forty-one, and uh, you know they uh, they almost trou- they almost beat the Warriors in the first round. So good defense can travel. But the Warriors don't play good defense, and they've lost all their defensive capabilities. So um, they lost to a team uh, yesterday in the Phoenix Suns who lost their first two games, not by much, who lost their best, their, well, I would say that one of their best players anyway, DeAndre Ayton, for 25 games for uh, testing positive for uh, anabolic steroid. Uh, yet here they are. They sit at 3-2. and two. Nobody is expecting anything from the Phoenix Suns this year, but I'll tell you, they picked up Ricky Rubio and they picked up Aaron Baines and Kelly Oubre Jr., who I'm, I'm just, I despise. I don't, I don't like his character on the court, but the man can play defense and he runs the floor. They sit at three and two now. They beat the Clippers. They beat the Warriors, so they haven't beaten nobody's. Um, this team is, is on, the, uh, on the rise, and they have one of the best coaches in the NBA. Do you know who coaches them? No. No, it's Monty Williams. Monty Williams should have been the Lakers coach. If the Lakers were smart, they, sh- they would have hired him. I do like Frank Vogel, but Monty Williams is one of the best coaches in the NBA. He's one of those players coaches. He's a lot like, jeez, uh, he's a lot like Mike Tomlin in, in a way. His players love him. Uh, he lets them be men and, you know, lets them, you know, be who they are on and off the court. So uh, love Monty Williams. Love Where what's going on in, in Phoenix. So if you're, uh, if you're a betting person and you like to, you like to bet on, on games, you know, Phoenix is not a pushover anymore. Where what's his history? Like what's his background? Monte Williams. Monte Williams? Yeah. So he coached he was the coach in New Orleans when uh Chris Paul was a rookie and they had uh, David West. They were really good. They actually were they won fifty games for four or five years in a row. 
when Chris Paul was uh, his first few years in the league. Uh, he played for the Orlando Magic for a few years. He bound, he was a journeyman. He wasn't really a star and, as a player. Um, he's, he's got a good pedigree. He got thrown into some tough situations later on in his, in his coaching career. Like, he you know, basically got dealt to – he got he signed on with weak teams to coach, and they didn't okay. finish with great records. But if you give him some talent, the man can coach. And clearly, you know, five games in, they look pretty good. I'm, I'm surprised. So um, – that's another team I want to, to talk about. Sorry? Saying, that's what I was going to see if he had played before, and it makes sense if he's played and he was more of a journeyman. I find you get a lot of quality coaches who come from that sort of same scenario where you're not an all star, you don't have all the natural ability and gifts that allow you to do things that uh, other people can't do. But then you really learn the game from watching it, being there and working your butt off and understanding the concepts. And then you can, you know, you understand the work involved and uh, you, it really translates to, uh, to a possibility of a great coach. You know, again, I can't speak for everybody, but I, it does seem to be a, a bit of a trend when you get those journeymen through whatever sport um, turn into be pretty good coaches. Man, you make a, you make a really good point in the least full of the guys like that Teron Lewis uh, comes to mind you know journeyman uh, was never really a superstar player played on some great teams with the Lakers so yeah the, um, I'm happy for them I, I hope they have continued success um, you know I don't think they're by by any means a uh, championship caliber team but they could push they could easily push for that eighth seed and in the west it's wide open man it's wide open Suns three and two Blazers three and two Clippers three and two those guys those right now those teams sit at eight nine ten Again, five games in, ridiculous to talk about playoffs, but right. just to give you a feel for how tight the West is going to be, I, I don't think the Warriors are going to make the playoffs. I really don't. I don't see that happening, even if even if um, Curry comes back by uh, by Christmas. So, all right. Um, another team to look look forward to. I, I, they're impressing me, and now they're they've just been dealt a bit of a blow. But uh, the Atlanta Hawks with Trey Young, they have Lloyd Daniels as their coach. Another another players coach another player type coach i think he had a cup of tea in the nba he's more uh, more noted for his time in europe um the hawks man they have one of the best young centers in the nba john collins he is athletic he's long he's the perfect prototype center for the for today's nba uh outside game so so but they have enough guys that can shoot trey young i'm not sure if you've seen trey young play he rolled his ankle he's up for two weeks but he's uh he's a lot like steph curry with a little bit more of an edge um he's only going into his second year uh, that's Vince Carter still on that team. Great mentor for some of the young guys. Um, they've got some nice pieces. Cam Reddish out of Duke, a rookie. He looks really good in his first few games. So if you're following the NBA and, and you bet on some of these games, don't sleep on the Hawks. Don't sleep on the Heat. And don't sleep on the Suns. Those are a couple of teams uh, to look out for. For the um, record, I'm quickly, pretty sure you went five for five maybe in the first uh, NBA bet advice that you had given Curtis. I think he went five. And for I five. went uh, four for four the night after. Just FYI. Well, FYI, uh, send your brother a message over here. And let me know which ones those are, so that I can get in on the old action. We may not oh, need to sell it. T-shirts. Let's just we're gonna wager our way right into some iPads. <laughs> Sounds good. He just messaged me. He goes, uh, "It was like six o'clock on. Uh, I think it was last. It was Friday. Yeah, it was. It was the fr- the, the, the the night after we had podcasted. He's like." Uh, could you help me out with something? <laughs> I said, sure. What's up? And he just sent me a list of the games. I'm like, could you, he goes, could you just pick these? I said, yeah. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. And, Cause he uh, went five for five the night that we were there. Yeah. And I told Kurt, I said, well, don't tell Pierre. I said, but let's just keep track of what he's doing so that we can uh, see what his percentage is. There was one game that uh, I told him to h- hang off of. 
it was uh he, he had sent me five games and i said i i bet him on four I, well i told him bet on these four this fifth one's a wild card pick another game it was the celtics and the and the raptors it was too close to call i wasn't i didn't have i don't have a feel i didn't have a feel for that game uh celtics ended up winning so thank god because i would have chosen the raptors so i told him to hold off on that game and he did so good hey, for him good on you for being able to understand that if you're not sure stay away from it you don't need to bet on it stay away from it man I'm learning. Stay away from it. Brock. Yeah. Just to, uh, uh, we've got another three minutes of basketball talk. Have you seen the Raptors this year? I have actually, because I bet on them a couple times. They look pretty I good, gotta man. I tell you. Yeah. They look very good. I, I, I'm, my only concern, I'm, surp- I'm surprised, but I'm not surprised. My only concern is their depth. I don't think they can handle an injury. I don't think Norm Powell, who Norm Powell is their their primary two guard wing guy if anyone gets hurt. I don't know if Norm Powell can hold the load if there's any if anything happens to uh, OG and Nanobi or Pascal Siakam or Fred Van Vliet. So that's where my that's my only concern is that they're starting Van Vliet and Lowry. So if anyone anything happens at point guard, ugh. You know, that's, it's going to be tricky business. So, but Pascal Siakam, I think he's averaging 30 points a game in, the, in these first four games. He's been unreal uh, MVP candidate. They're it's second in the, in the East. Uh, I mean, he is incredible. It's uh he does seem to be taking on uh, the role that is expected of him. And he seems to be doing that very well where last year he was, you know, like he's second fiddle to Kawhi and uh, even Lowry at that point. So he sort of understood his role there and understands his new role now and with the new contract. And um, yeah, he seems to be fitting in pretty well. So it's, it's been good, but you bring up the depth thing, which I, I agree with. And that was also their, their strongest suit last year. You kept talking about their depth and that was what's really going to separate the Raptors is moving forward and getting down to that uh, six, seven, eight, ninth guy on the, on the, uh, on the bench. So uh, what was their strength last year seems to be a weakness now, so we'll see how they address it. But again, it's five it's five games in or whatever, and you know we'll see what uh, uh, what the GM does. And he usually has some pretty good plans going on. So I'm curious. I'm always curious to see what he does. Guys like that that take yeah. chances and um, don't care what the fans uh, say or what it's going to look like. He understands the the team dynamic what's going to help them, what doesn't. Um, obviously, now most people are on board with him and will give him that trust because he brought a championship to Toronto. So let's just see what he does. What's the next innovation he's going to do? And let me tell you, they whoever whoever in the war room drafted Terrence Davis III is, a, again, another steal, absolute steal. He is um, he's in the rotation. He's, he's the third... Eighth guy off the bench, or the third guy off the bench, the eighth guy in the rotation. He's coming in there. He's playing defense like a madman, um, and that's what Coach Nick Nurse needs off the bench. You know, they, they're still using Ibaka, Powell, and uh, Terrence Davis. Those are the three guys coming off the bench. I mean, they're two free agent acquisitions. Uh, Stanley Johnson and Rondé Hollis Jefferson aren't, aren't playing. I think Stanley Johnson has played a f- only a few minutes so far this season. So he clear the the pecking order is clear. The uh, message is clear: play defense or you're not playing. So the Raptors are just. I mean, I'm I am super excited. My only concern is, like I said, depth and the fact that they're starting Lowry and Van Vliet together 
if one of those guys gets hurt, Patrick McCaw is the primary uh, point guard backup. Uh, it could get tricky there, but right now, so far, they look really good. And, you know, team chemistry, is there's something to be said for that. Um, uh, quickly, uh, going over, I want to just mention the Lakers. Uh, I've seen enough of them or this year to know they're going to be a championship team. Uh, once Kyle Kuzma's healthy, uh, Dwight Howard looks re- re-energized. He's lost a ton of weight. Um, if they can figure each other out and uh, Coach Vogel can figure out the rotations, um, that team is going to be the best in the West, better than the Clippers, because the Clippers without Kawhi have absolutely no chance. I know the, the Raptors had a pretty good record without Kawhi last year. The Clippers will not. They lost by 20 last night to Utah. Kawhi sat. It was the load management, that whole deal. Um, they lost by 20 to Utah on the road, and they, they weren't even competitive. Now, Paul George, you know, when they sit Kawhi, will Paul George be able to step up? Well, Paul George hasn't played any meaningful basketball in a long time. On top of that, he's coming off two bad shoulders, and uh, he's not going to be ready for a while. The Clips, I'd hold the, the I'd hold off on the championship parade until three-quarters of the way into the season. Let's see what the Clips have to offer here, but Kawhi's the best player in the NBA. Brock, I do want to ask you one thing before we end this NBA segment. Rockets beat the Wizards last night 159 to 158 in regulation in time. Regu- I heard that, and so I was happy you had it on there. I have nothing to comment on it because i didn't see any of the game i just heard it when i was driving into work and i was beside myself i don't even know how that's possible harden had what 59 i think they said harden had 59 it's a it was a competitive it's a competitive game uh it was a up-tempo game like basically zero defense if you could picture zero defense in a basketball game this was was uh, it an hour and a half game a horse oh it was it was ridiculous um the, here's my question to you. The Wizards are one in three, and they're not very competitive. They're not going to be very good. John Wall's hurt. Is it a little concerning if you're a Rockets fan that you gave up 158 points to a team with one score? They stink. I think, yeah, it could be concerning, but uh, I think it'd be more of the fact that they're playing a team that they know doesn't have a lot of scores, that I can see the Rockets and certain players within the Rockets maybe take it a little bit lighter because they think we just got to outscore them, really. They're not, they don't have a lot of scores going to miss. And then, you know, now it's been, whatever, 47 minutes into the game, and they say, well, shit, we're, they're still keeping pace with us. We had to score yeah. 159 points to beat them. It's, I, I just I feel again I did not see the game, but if you're going into something where you know you're prolific shooters and you can score a lot of points and you're going against a team that has injuries and isn't uh, full of scores, you really don't think you have to play a lot of defense. You just think they're going to miss shots and then you're going to get your your opportunities and it's just going to take off from there. So I'm thinking it's it, don't read too much into it, um, but again. You know, it doesn't look good when you look back at it. But I think from a team standpoint, I would assume that these guys are better at playing defense than they showed. And if they're playing a team that they know can score from a variety of ways, that their defense might be a little bit tighter. I think they were just trying to outscore a team they thought should be easy to put away. Yep, I'd have to agree with that. I think it was just one of those situations where, hey, give credit to Washington. Bradley Beal had 46 I'm sure uh, all the other guys chipped in and, uh, you know, it was a run and gun type game. And uh, 
those those nights are going to happen. The fact that they got a W, I think, is at the end of the day, a W is a W in the NBA, and you, you take it and you move on. And if you're the Rockets, uh, losing a game like that might be very, very concerning because, like I said, the Wizards just don't have any scoring. So um, inter- uh, I just thought that was a very interesting score, very interesting game. Mike D'Antoni, notorious for uh, not coaching any defense at all. And uh, they don't have a lot of defensive guys in their team. Russell Westbrook is not a defensive guy. Um, Clint Compella is a good rebounder, um, you know, rim protector. Yeah. And uh, they're getting a little long in the tooth, so we'll see how we'll see how the season plays out. But it's been a very interesting first couple of weeks in the NBA. Way too early to be analyzing, but also I've seen enough basketball to know. Look, some of these teams are going to sneak up on people. And uh, again, I don't sleep on the Hawks. For me, don't sleep on the Hawks, Heat, and the Suns. So um, that's it for our uh, our NBA segment. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to enter the social room. Social room. Welcome to the social room. And we're back in the social room. We've entered the social room. <laughs> and we've got some topics uh, that, you know, I think uh, in society, speaking of social, uh, are hot topics, you know. And uh, this first uh, this first topic we have in the social room, for me, is an interesting one. It, c- it could be viewed in, in many, many different ways. Uh, race, um, wealth entitlement, alcohol abuse, drug abuse. There's a million ways to look at this, but Josh Hamilton, former slugger with the Texas Rangers, um, in and out of rehab, alcohol rehab, um, signed a huge contract with the Anaheim Angels, which may go down now as one of the worst contracts in uh, Major League history, only because he didn't play. He hardly played. I think he played 100 games in in what amounted to six seasons with them. Um, In and out of... uh, rehab again uh, the great slugger in his heyday i think we can both agree that he was a uh, you know when he was mm-hmm. with the rangers he was a uh, one of the best if not the best home run hitter in the majors arrested for abusing his daughter um so the story as the story goes him and, his, him and his daughter who i don't think she's much older than eight eight or nine i, I don't remember the, her exact age she was not in her teens i know that they got into some little argument. It was petty. And she explains him saying something to the effect of, you know, um, why don't you go tell the police so that they can come arrest me so I don't have to see you again. And then he hit her, but it was like on the back while he pinned her arms down in her bed. Imagine how terrifying that must be for a kid. Josh Hamilton's not a small guy. Um, no, he's pretty big, actually. He's a big dude. Um, so... You know, we can look at it from a perspective of like, okay, this is a man that potentially has, you know, uh, alcohol issues, drug, maybe drug issues. I don't know. Um, he's off the rails clearly with this. Uh, the mother of of uh, his children says he's off the rails. He's kind of like a bit of a loose cannon. How does this differ from a guy like Adrian Peterson who, you know, hit his son, I believe, as a way to discipline versus just random <sighs> abuse like what are we is should we have sympathy for josh hamilton should we say look you, you need help this is not how you deal with kids this is not how you deal with life um you need you know a help that you can you can live and sustain with because right now clearly what you've done in the past isn't working so how do we like if we look at those two examples what differentiates adrian peterson from josh hamilton 
I don't know. Well, I mean, Peterson's doing it um, consciously as a style of parenting, a style of parenting that if I remember correctly, I think he said he was kind of brought up that way too. Um, you know, where if you were in trouble, you were hit like a lot of people were back in the day. Um, you know, in today's society, that's obviously frowned upon. Um, but I'm, it's really tough because the Peterson and Josh Hamilton, I was just reading the Josh Hamilton thing while you were talking about it. And that's, you know, goes above and beyond anything in terms of disciplining your child. It's, this is, um, much worse in my opinion. Um, it's actually assault. Um, you know, all the, the, the description here of what happened and throwing chairs and water bottles and throwing her on the bed and, and holding her head down while he's hitting her legs and, um, you know, and then at one point he's got her over her shoulder, bringing her to the bedroom um, where, you know, apparently the whole time she's yelling like, I'm sorry. And so there is a, you know, obviously I feel very sorry for her daughter. Um, he needs help. Like there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He He's somebody who needs help at this point. Um, that doesn't excuse what he did, you know, but I also, when you talk about showing sympathy to people, um you know, I think we're in a society that doesn't show sympathy to anybody um, and is very quick to um, punish people. And again, he is in it. He has done things that are punishable for sure. But there's a side that, uh, you know, I feel for him to a point and he needs to get some help. So in that aspect, I, I, I would like to show some sympathy to him, but in the, in the right way. And showing sympathy to somebody doesn't mean, oh, you're okay and it's okay what you did. But understand that this is a person who is in trouble, needs help. And that's not only the daughter, that's Hamilton as well. But that whole situation needs help. Peterson was disciplining his child. That's how he was brought up. Um, You know, I think for the most part, um, I don't recall Peterson getting in trouble any other time throughout his career, as far as I know, other than this, right? I believe so, yeah. So... You know, that's a guy who, for the most part, seems like he's doing the right things. And if he's brought up that same way, then he's going to bring up his kids that same way. If you screw up or do something, now I don't recall anything to do with Peterson's situation and why the kid was getting spanked or hit with the stick or whatever. Um, but my i assume it's got to be similar to the way he was brought up and he turned out to be fairly decent for you know having a father in jail and not being around and this and that so he's raising his kids is the only way he knows how is the same way he was raised and you know maybe maybe this isn't the best example of two players they're just the first two that sort of came to mind you know i guess maybe because of the most recent but i just thought it was an interesting could have been an interesting way to look at things in terms of like, here's a guy, African-American guy hitting his kid as a, a, a way to punish. Um, like you mentioned, that's the way he was brought up. And then here's a, here's a white man who's abusing alcohol, uh, has a history of alcohol abuse, really uh, appalling how he treated his daughter. Is he going to get any sympathy? If this was Adrian Peterson, if the roles were reversed, would we be hanging Adrian Peterson right now? Um, 
Uh, I'd hate Again, to say hot. it, but I, I, I feel like yes. You know, and I think maybe Peterson aside, maybe more of a, I don't know, Tariq Hill. Like Tariq Hill was more of a, you know, accused of hitting, not in a disciplinary fashion, uh, facet, like a, a something about punching her in the chest or something. Yeah, um, yeah. So that might be more along those lines, but. Um, no, I, I think it's a race plays a role in stuff like that. I find, especially, I was gonna say, especially in the states, but I, I find it just does. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, you know, race race plays a part in a lot of things, man. It's pretty scary, actually. And you know, even even a guy like me, you know, I I, I still get uncomfortable around around old people. I know it sounds weird, but you know, this the sixty five plus on the Quebec side here where I live. You know, unless they talk to me, I get the funniest glares, especially if I'm wearing my Steelers hat and a, and a hoodie or something cozy when I'm going out to shopping or whatever. It's really peculiar. So race has a, has an effect on on the littlest things. And certainly this is not a little thing, but it's a very interesting topic that way we can, you know, we can certainly ask our listeners one day if they want to chime in and uh, leave us some messages, what they think about Josh Hamilton. Is there any sympathy at all or should they just like throw the book at him? You know, we'll see how this plans out. So anyway, happy to get your perspective there. Um, clearly, you know, I think we all watched the World Series. I know you guys watched the tail end of it last last night. I watched it. Uh, we'll get into the World Series later, but I did want to talk about the um, the possibility of um, with this victory with the Nationals. It reminds me that the Nationals were born from our old team in Montreal. And... Um, there's a lot of excitement about the Expos coming back. There has to be now because they're going to be playing in baseball in Montreal under the guise of the Tampa Bay Rays for half the season. Um, I want to know your thoughts real quick. Do you think baseball can survive in Montreal after being gone? It's been 15 years since 2004. Does baseball have a shot in Montreal? Yeah, and you know, I think the biggest thing for the baseball team Montreal was the way they left. <clears throat> if they left and they were uh, the bottom of the NL, basement dwellers, not exciting baseball, um, you know, just a shit team to watch and to cheer for, I think that would be different. I think they, if they followed that point, they'd say most fans would be like, you know what? Screw it. They're done. They're out. It's never going to survive here. The way the the Expos left was essentially on a pretty high note. Like it wasn't, uh, they were very close. I mean, other than the strike, they were very close to getting, um, you know, into the playoffs and making a real long run. So everybody remembers that team and the success they were having and the excitement that was around them. So when they actually kind of left, I think everybody looks back and says, fuck, we had a really good team. Like, it would be awesome. Imagine if they were here. And then uh, did the Rays win not long after? I believe, I think they did, yeah, actually, yes. But anyway, it's just, it's all, I think the way they left really left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. And, and when you're watching baseball and you think, you know, and then the Jays having some success and you think back all to the good days with the, with the Expos and where they were going, I yeah. think that's actually benefiting the whole res resurgent kind of um, push because of those those glory years. 
and the one and like the what ifs and what could have been and they were so close and if the league didn't you know screw us by striking and if all that kind of stuff i think that's uh that's more motivation for people who want to see it back because they were doing well at the end never have i seen a player stoppage a work stoppage uh affect the team more in all, in all of sports and all the work stoppages there have been a lot hockey baseball basketball football there have been a lot of work stoppages in pro sports i don't think i recall one that killed a franchise like the one in 94 it, it killed the expos they couldn't after that after that run and then our, they arguably had a world series caliber team after that run you know they ended up losing larry walker to colorado they ended up losing pedro they lost all their stars Alou went to, I believe he went to either the Cubs or Florida for a year. Like they lost everybody. And that was the beginning of the end. And by 2004, you know, uh, Oh Henry, Henry Rodriguez came in and he had the Oh Henry bars. And, but so they had a couple of gimmicky guys. He can't sort of came out of nowhere. Then Vlad had Vladdy Jr. For a couple of years as a, as a young player, but um, the strike killed them. So I think the what strike, also killed them, the strike happened because it was the Expos that were the favorites to win. And in mm. that year, it had already been the Jays like two years in a row and then maybe one off, and now the Expos were back. And, I, th- you know, honestly, I'm of the thought process that if it had been, let's say the uh, Yankees were atop and they were the favorites to win or, um, you know, some other beloved team within the MLB, I don't think – they have a work stoppage. Wow. That's just my, I remember feeling that back in the day and I I still believe it. I think it's because Montreal was doing well that they, that the rest of them are like, yeah, okay, screw it. Let's do it now. But if it was anybody else's team, anybody, any one of the big teams that the MLB loves and like the real historic franchises, I don't think they stop. Hey, Toronto won the world series the year before. So it would have been Toronto, Toronto, Montreal. It was the year before. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Toronto, yeah. Toronto, Montreal, and they just say, "Well, fuck, we can't have three times back in Canada." So they're like, "Screw it, we're gonna." Yeah, and that's if you have Steinbrenner, Steinbrenner, yeah, yeah, yeah. the owner of the Yankees, and his Yankees are going through. You think Steinbrenner makes that happen? No, the, these guys have enough power where that would not have happened. And I think that uh, it just because Montreal was in it that they were like, "Yeah, okay, this is a perfect time to do it." That's a very interesting take. I will say this about the Montreal franchise. Uh, I'm excited to see them as the Rays. I don't care who, as long as they come back and represent uh, the city of Montreal in baseball, I don't care if they're the Rays or the Jays or the Blaze or I don't care. I'm, I'm excited to see baseball. I'm excited to see Montreal represent. I want to see Montreal show Tampa how it's done. Tampa, you had a friggin' playoff team and you couldn't sell out your building. It's pathetic. So anyway, excited for that. Montreal needs absolutely needs a new stadium. Good Lord, the big O. They're putting in a lot of money for the big O, I think, for the World Cup of Soccer. But um, the big O, as it stands now, is a dump. Um, if you've been to the big O in the last five years, and I have, it's the original roof. It's still a piece of trash. Um, it's costing the city of Montreal five grand, I think, every hour just to keep the roof up. There's like a million tears in the roof and they're constantly having to work on it, but they've invested so much money in the building. Now they've that, that big pin needle that sticks above the B the, the big O is now they've renovated it and it's now TD banks home office. So like they've committed to the building. If you walk around, it's, it's actually pretty sad. It used to, it was an Olympic park. Like it's where they did. They had the summer Olympics. So there was like a, an empty pool. There's an empty track. It's just, it's sad. Um, but they're reinvesting apparently in that building in that area. So who knows what ends up? Maybe they end up in that building. I think they need a building downtown with a retractable roof. 
Yeah, but I mean, but uh, you know, real estate in Montreal is scarce. You know what I mean? So finding a spot to put uh, a ballpark downtown somewhere in that kind of area is going to be a huge Hard. undertaking. Not only yeah. getting to and from it and stuff like that. You know, we practice at the Big O a few times, and yeah, it's pretty beat up. Anyway. Yeah, it's the old old stereo system, old speakers. It's wild. Just, I don't want you to spend more than a second on this because I don't want to spend more than a second on this. But the last item on my, actually, the second last item on my social uh, social room is: um, should a team take a chance on Antonio Brown? Yeah, I saw that. Um, also, that he uh, ripped the XFL, saying it would only last three weeks. I. He may not be wrong. I mean, listening to some of the salaries and stuff that they have for these guys in the XFL isn't overly encouraging. If the CFL salary is more, that's not great. Um, but uh, Antonio Brown's, team. yeah, you always do. He's got enough talent that you're basically taking a shot to say, is he over his ego or whatever this phase he's in is he over it let's take a shot see if he fits in if he doesn't gone this the the contract structure and payment structure is going to be very um incentive based and Mm -hmm. you know so it's really not a lot of um cost to you. you 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 take that shot see if he comes in and says you know what i'm ready to to do something i don't know yeah, I would. Here's what uh, here's my take on Brown is that yeah he you can bring him in if he doesn't work out if he's a mess in the room you, you send him packing but it seems like when you send him packing he goes on a on Twitter rants or Instagram rants and he drags people with him so let's say he signs with I don't know the Eagles who are desperate for a wide receiver and he comes in he uh, it doesn't work out he gets in an argument with somebody or whatever they they cut him and he starts ripping Carson Wentz in on Instagram or wherever or Twitter. And he starts ripping other guys. And then the Eagles are in the middle of a playoff race, but now they're distracted by this guy, you know, dragging their name through the mud. It can be a distraction. Some guys can't help but but reply. I thought Juju Smith-Schuster was maybe the best in the way he handled Antonio Brown coming at him. He just said, look, I love the, the guy. He was my mentor. I don't know why he's ripping me. But some guys don't have that capability. Some guys will just get right into it. And it can distract them from what they're chasing, which is, which is the Lombardi, you know? So I don't know if it's worth the distraction, but... You know, he's a great talent. Speaking of great talents, Le'Veon Bell had mentioned he was he was on a trade block, if you could believe it. Yeah, I heard that. And he mentioned mentioned four teams were interested. Um, they slipped my mind. Texans, I believe, were one. Chiefs were one. Packers were one. And the Steelers called and uh, made a call in just to see what it would take to, to get Le'Veon. The, the Packers. You find that interesting? I find the Packers being interesting because... And sorry, I feel like I just emphasized my P's quite a bit there. So if it's loud in your car speaker, I just apologize for that. Um, okay. The Texans are in need of a back. The Chiefs are sort of in need of a back. They they go by committee, whatever. And then uh, who was the other one you just said? Steelers. And the Steelers. And the Steelers. Connors hurt. They're in need of, you know, Jalen Samuels hurt. Yeah. And obviously Le'Veon maybe having a... Uh, a taste with the Jets and saying, nah, this is not as fun as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> so I would love to go back to Steel Town. It's fine. The Packers, I'm a little bit, uh, I'm surprised by because Aaron Jones has been running pretty good. Uh, Williams has been doing fairly well on the, on the back end too. So they have a pretty good little duo there. Um, I don't know if you'd want to really rock that boat. And they've been doing so freaking well without Devontae Adams. He's even in the lineup and, 
Um, anyway, so that one surprises me. As for Le'Veon being on the trading block, no, that doesn't surprise me. Um, you know, it was a Gase, I guess, whatever. It was saying that it's not uh, – uh, it wasn't even really his choice to have Le'Veon, and if they can get something back for him and whatever. But I don't know. Gase's issue was more just the amount of money they spent on a running back, right? Well, that's it. System frees, is up, like... frees up space, you know? Yeah. Obviously, they're not making that push they thought they were going to be. They're not as uh, – um, no you know, dominant as they thought they were going to be. And on paper, they should be. So let's dump whatever it is, $27 million a year or whatever. And I'm not, and I'm not crapping on Le'Veon Bell. He's runs the ball pretty well, considering he hasn't had much help. So, you and know, he, they're putting, they're loading the box exactly. with him, right? So he's done pretty well for himself. I, I don't love to see him back in Pittsburgh, to be perfectly honest. It's a good fit for him. That's a perfect offensive line for him. They, it's it just it's set up the whole offense has been set up for him for the last five years so he'd be coming in it'd be like an easy easy transition but um that's one no more really quick question for you yep. uh thoughts on bobby ryan being a healthy scratch um the way he reacted in the media was very 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 uh, full of class i thought he was he handled his benching with class um he even made some jokes about it about like hey my i like my salary <laughs> i don't know what i like it i i know i have to work harder but you know i can't help but what i make you know it's not my fault but yep. um he understood the situation and uh your take on bobby ryan will uh, will the sens look to deal him and will somebody take a chance on a veteran guy with good hands and uh he still has a lot of game left in him uh he's got a lot of skill he's just you know he went through some slumps uh and maybe it's a it's a new scenario, fresh start. Something needs to click. We, you and I both know sports is very finicky, you know, especially in like a hockey, even basketball kind of scenario where you're playing with the, the same two, three guys all the time. It's a tight-knit thing. And if you don't have that, that cohesiveness, it just doesn't work. And it, all it takes is one thing. I mean, James Neal is a perfect example. You know, goes to Calgary, plays with the same guys for a while, doesn't do much. Goes over, clicks with. I mean, granted, one of the best players on the on, in the universe, um, but is scoring at uh, at will at this point because it's clicking and they gel together and they complement each other properly. Ryan has skill sets that can be beneficial to somebody. It's just a matter of finding that unit that he fits in and clicking properly. I wish him the best. I hope uh, I hope it works out for him in Ottawa. But if not, you know, maybe a team takes it takes a chance on him. But so there you have it for the social room, folks. Uh, we've covered a, a few topics, some uh, some very powerful topics and some just sports. So um, we'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll uh, we'll check our P.O. box and uh, talk about the World Series. And we'll spend a little bit of time on what happened last night. Go Nats. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. got mail actually it's a p.o box all right we're back <laughs> the new intro the p.o box what do we got pep well brock uh i just wanted to get your opinion uh on the world series and we all know by now the washington nationals won what i thought was a very mike rizzo the general manager dave martinez the field manager here they are, one strike away, one out away. 3 2. Here it is! The Washington Nationals are world champions for the first time in franchise history. Sorry, I uh, had oh, that no. sound clip, and shit like that gives me goosebumps. 
What what, uh, what the f- listeners don't see is Brock. I'm in the middle of a thought, and Brock is uh, on his <laughs> end is like giving me the old like stop sign with his hand, and then I'm slowly uh, disassembling my thought while he <laughs> presses <laughs> presses the leg, and away we go. Oh, um, do, you have the, do you have the Howie uh, Kendrick home run? Happen to have that? Oh, of course you would. Of course you would. Oh man, that. I thought the commentators call on that. So the ball hit the post and it, you know, it sounds like when a puck hits the post, it's how, that, that was the sound it made. And then he just goes berserk. Like it's like a delayed reaction. It was so amazing. Um, Brock's going to look that up uh, yeah. as I get into a quick, quick question for him right now, Brock, before, if you can multitask uh, on a, on a scale of one to 10, how entertaining did you find the uh, world series? Uh, that's a tough question, man. Yeah. Uh, but I found myself extremely entertained, and I don't know if it was um, sports betting that added to the excitement. <laughs> 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 and I'm not even talking big money. I'm talking like I'm putting five bucks on the Nats or whatever. Um, so I'm invested in that sense, but... Uh, I, I was. I, I found myself really pulling for the uh, the Nats to win. Um, I really found myself. You know, we talked about it before. We knew who was in the World Series and which one was a sexier matchup. And yeah, you know, the Bronx Bombers and the big hitters and stuff. That's one thing. But the way this series played out, and I'm so happy, it went to seven games. Yeah, completely. me too. But seeing how they managed pitchers, and then you add. Uh, Scherzer pulling out of game five because of a neck and back spasm where you're like, fuck now they just lost one of their aces. Who's not in the lineup. Is he going to get a chance and watching him in game six, being ready to come in at any point in the locker room with his friggin' Husky, two different color eyes peeping over the, the bench and just like put me in coach. I'm here if you need me. And then not having to be used and say, here's starter for next game. It was all that kind of stuff. I actually, I, I loved it. Yeah, I, g- I gave it a 9 on 10, and I'll, only because I didn't watch one of the games because um, I had a basketball game. But uh, I thought the way it lined up, you know, I, especially with Scherzer pitching, uh, I thought, boy, this reminds me of, like, the time where uh, well, the name slips my mind, that, that Red Sox pitcher that had blood on his uh, on his sock there. Oh, God. my God. Uh, Matty Putney's favorite guy. Oh, uh, my God. Now, because you've asked me, I can't. Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling. The guy wanted to, he was hunting down uh, a cyber bully of his daughter. Remember that? Kurt Schilling? Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, and he was, uh, people were being bullies, and he was, had these geek squad on, whatever, and they were going through and finding IP addresses and, like, in his neighborhood, and I know where you live. I know. Anyway, kudos, because from a father's standpoint, a hundred percent, I would be doing the exact same thing. So I was—I remember hearing that story. Anyway, I like uh, Kurt, but yeah, that kind of the blood in the—I you know, remember the, that in the sock. Yeah, and this had that same feel to it, right? Like a superstar pitcher, uh, pinched nerve in his neck, and it's hard. That's hard to to get. You know, you're a starting pitcher. You're expected to throw a hundred pitches in a, in the World Series with a pinched nerve in your neck that can affect your velocity. But anyway, the fact that he came out, he held his own. I mean, two runs is two runs. It was, it wasn't a, I thought he did a really good job. He wasn't his dominant self. You could tell there was something wrong, but still uh, he hung in there long enough for the Nats to have a third go at, uh, at Zach Greinke. And then boy, oh boy, Howie Kendrick 
You ready for Hit how the he, homer, I found it? I'm ready for it. You talk about goosebumps? Listen to this, boys right, and girls. This better be it. If it's not, it's going to be bad. Okie doke. He struck out 11, walked one. Opponents hitting 176 against him. That's down the right field line into the corner. This ball is gone for a home run. Nationals on top. Howie Kendrick has made it 3 2. Off the pole and right. So that's Joe Buck. He wasn't doing the call. I, what I was listening to is uh, Buck Martinez and whoever he does it with. Uh, that's the, the call I heard. But e- equally as exciting, Joe Buck. Uh, Joe Buck I like in baseball, not so much in football. I don't like Joe Buck with Troy, Troy Aikman, but I certainly like him when he's with Dan Shulman. They make a good pair. But um, that that home run, man, and then Kendrick ran to the uh, dugout, and they were the guys were dancing, and they did a little thing on the chair. It was just amazing. The entertainment value, I found it was awesome. Um, did you think the GM situation with the Astros affected their their play? I mean, they ended up winning three games even after that whole shit show with the GM. Um, then he gets fired. Do you think that had any any effect on the team, on A.J. Hinch, on their on their focus? Uh, it actually, they might have rallied around it a little bit from a team standpoint, saying like, you know, yeah, you're firing GM, and every, maybe everybody expects us to be distracted by it internally, and they just maybe use that as a rallying thing because going three games in a row on the road uh, at the time was a pretty big feat. You know, we didn't know that it was going to be every road team winning in this uh, world series, which in itself is crazy, but I also um, understand it to a point when you're at home, there's so many more distractions, your own home life, your, uh, you know, your friends, your family, your (laughs) fans, your, all that kind of stuff that you're almost over hype and uh, almost lose the, the business focus uh, ability, I guess, because there's so many other distractions I think more and more as we go, I, I just don't think the home field is as big an advantage in sports in general. In baseball, the biggest advantage is that you bat last. But, uh, you know, as we see, when you go on the road, it's everything else is out of it. It's, it's literally you feel that it's just us versus everybody else because everybody in that town is against you, but the guys in your locker room. So it does kind of bring you guys together a little bit. And, um, you know, they, these teams have responded accordingly when they're on the road, and it was pretty impressive to see seven games be decided by the, the visiting team. Uh, first time in, in Major League history. Yeah. That it's, the road team crazy. won every game in the, in the World Series. So uh, I couldn't believe, I, I read this uh, this morning, that the World Game 7 of the World Series yesterday was the least-watched World Ser- Game 7 World Series in, in history. Uh Shocking, considering a it's just a game. Any, it's any game seven's exciting, but yeah. the fact that it's the Nationals who've no, done nothing but win on the road, underdog for like it's you know, um, it's the Goliath. You know, it's a, that situation. You're going to slay the beast with a, a, a team of you know a, a few castoffs on the Nationals. Adam Eaton. You know, there's some guys that teams just sort of gave up on who playing on that team. And I, Ryan Zimmerman, a veteran who you know may retire after this year. It was so fun to watch them play, but. Um, Dave Martinez, I thought, to say he outmanaged A.J. Hinch, it's hard because it seemed like both guys didn't really utilize their bench. They had their, they had their set lineups, and I don't remember, I don't recall, I think Gerardo Parra came in one, one game, but really Martinez had his lineup, and he had a starting pitcher, and he had the pecking order for, the, for his bullpen, and it was really, that was it. So I just thought, outmanaged, I don't know if he outmanaged A.J. Hinch. I just thought that, I just think he's such a great, 
manager for of people and he's he's a they love dave martinez players love dave martinez i hope one day he ends up with the jays i, I you know I, I know they're committed to their current manager but uh man i just love seeing dave martinez beat aj hinch uh it was just really excited martinez former expo former jay actually former as a player and he's bounced around the, the coaching ranks and i'm ha- really really happy for him heart condition doctors yeah. told him you you can't get too excited you can't you're you put yourself at risk he, he gets kicked caffeine. out of game six he's, he's, he can't have caffeine because of the condition he has and they're telling us this when he is losing his mind crazy on that uh that ground out uh to first where uh it was a turner i think that didn't uh yeah didn't go to the outside line ran straight from a to b onto the base yeah. which to me is exactly what you're supposed to do, but I guess you got to be a little bit outside. And anyway, um, imagine that. No, costing, I couldn't imagine that actually you know, real quick, Brock, we're going, we want to finish up this segment. Sorry. Yep. Um, who's your MVP <clears throat> of the world series? I think Strasburg. Uh, he, he didn't, he, did he not end up winning it though? Oh, I don't know. I, I, think uh, he, I didn't I think, stay up for yeah, it. I think he won it. Okay, good. Well then. Yeah. Yeah, I thought. I mean, he pitched two great games. Uh, he pitched a great game in uh, in Game Six. It was unreal, and I think that's. Uh, uh, yeah, he would be my MVP. Would you have somebody else? Would you have picked somebody else? Ah, well, you know, I, you, pitchers always are are come up huge, right? But it's hard to be. When I think of when I think of Rendon, Rendon Soto, yeah. And what they did is Soto specifically, like, oh, my God. Soto was an absolute monster. And then Kendrick, this guy, this journeyman, all he does is win. When he goes wherever he goes, he just wins. Um, I'd have to go Soto just to how he played yesterday. I think he was really? five for five and with a walk. Like, I mean, that's the, the biggest spotlight on the road, you know, and he's laughing and smiling and enjoying himself. And he, they, they're down 2-1 and he's laughing. He just took a walk. Kendrick hits a home run. Like, I mean, I, yeah, it'd be Soto for me, but what what a World Series. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, where the hell was Aaron so, Sanchez? Yeah. Who I don't No clue. No clue. I didn't even is see he hurt? him. I didn't even see him, like, in a dugout. Yeah, me either. Is he, is he hurt? Is he off? Did he keep him off the playoff roster? Boy, where's Kurt when you need him? Kurt. Kurt. Google just, that shit for us. Just need you. So, anyway, uh, congratulations to the Washington Nationals. Uh, one more quick hot take. Uh, Edwin, Arcan- Edwin Encarnacion is uh, officially a free agent on the open market, and I would love to see him back with the Jays. Yeah, who wouldn't? Great clubhouse guy. I mean, he'd fit right in with that young group. He'd fit right in with Gurriel Jr. and with uh, Guerrero Jr. You know, and of course, we know, we've seen what Bichette and Biggio can do, and, and the parrot, bring back the parrot. So, uh, dust off the old parrot there, just walk around. Oh, you bring him back with... Bichette, Biggio, Guerrero, you've got, that's, that's five guys in your lineup that you do not have to worry about who are, like, could lead you to a World Series. I, I, I'm, I'm so excited. If they bring a man, if they bring him back, I'll be pumped. They need a DH and they need a first baseman. Uh, I'm not sold on Rowdy Telez. Some people are. Some people say, well, this is the year he's going to show himself. Well, well this, this, I thought this past year was the year he was supposed to show himself. Didn't show me much. Um, his, he couldn't sustain his power because he's out of shape. So he's got to get in better shape. So does Guerrero Jr. But the, the, the future's bright in Toronto with a little bit of pitching. I think we're going to be just A-OK and bring back double E. At a, you know, and, you know, even if it's for a year or two years, you know, you pay him a little, a little more than maybe he's worth for a year. What have you got to lose? Yeah. 
You get all these guys on 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 uh, contracts, right? On uh, you know their initial contracts, they're not making a ton of money. These young guys, bring Edwin in, pay him the money he deserves. The guy can still hit thirty five homers in that dome. I'll tell you that right now. So we'll see what happens. But anyway, that's the end of our PO box. I want to get your opinion on the World Series. We got it. We're going to take another quick break, and when we come back. We're going to end the segment with uh, a little NFL talk. The trade deadline has come and gone. Some winners, some losers, sort of real quick hot takes. And then we'll let you guys go to bed after Brock gives us our college pigskin roundup. Can't wait. And we're back with the NFL. Uh, The trade deadline came and went. There were a ton of rumors, ton of rumors flying, um, but nothing really happened. And the NFL is not really known for their uh, like a huge. It's not like the NHL where they have the you know the trade deadline. They spend the whole day on it with the, with TSN analysts, and it's crazy. It's not like that in the NFL. The trades are are not. They don't happen that often. In fact, I thought this year there's been more trades in the NFL than ever before, or certainly in the last decade. But um, trades are not that popular in the NFL if unless you're swapping picks. Um, you don't see a lot of player for player deals, but uh, there were some deals. Um, interesting, some winners, some losers. I've got a list of what I think, um, you know, the teams that won the trade deadline deals, the teams that lost, and uh, some teams in between. Um, so I'm going to start with the winners, and uh, I'll start, start with the Rams. And, you know, they did lose two guys, but the guy they brought in makes up for the two guys they lost. You know, they lost Tlaib, who's uh, injured. And uh, they they dealt Marcus Peters to the uh, Baltimore Ravens. Peters, apparently a little bit hard to coach. They bring in Jalen Ramsey, who I think is the best DB in the NFL. And uh, I say that, I don't say that lightly. I've seen him play against my Steelers, and I've seen him almost single-handedly shut out everybody on the Patriots in that uh, conference finals game a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, they've now cleared up money to pay that man at the end of this year. So he's going to get paid huge, and he's going to be an LA Rams. So... Quick thought, do you think the Rams won a trade deadline by doing those those deals, by getting rid of two and bringing in one and a, and a draft pick? Yeah. I, again, that's, I think, a clear winner for the Rams. Uh, again, if Peters has any sort of difficulty being coached, but Tlaib is good, but also on the, you know, the, the back end of his career. Uh, Ramsey has a, a lot of years left in front of him. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a no brainer. He also, he brings uh, a characteristic to LA that better suits LA than it does Jacksonville. Uh, so I think, yeah, no brainer. It's a great, great pick for them. Uh, the new England Patriots, I thought was, they were a winner. They didn't do a ton, but there's again, they're, they're smart team. They certainly don't need anything on defense. Their defense is like, I think they're breaking records every week. But uh, they picked up Mohamed Sanu from the Atlanta Falcons, a guy that you and I talked about in the preseason. Um, I like Sanu. He's a big guy. Um, you know, he's uh, underappreciated in Atlanta. They they stink. They're one in seven. Um, so, you know, the Patriots, uh, the the picking was good. They picked up Mohamed Sanu. They've just, they just released uh, Josh Gordon today. They put him on uh, off of IR. So now he's got to clear waivers. Uh, they ha- I don't think they have any plans of bringing Josh Gordon back. So, He's essentially going to replace Josh Gordon, so someone more reliable, about the same size, good hands, uh, good character guy. It's going to fit perfectly with Edelman and, and uh, some of the guys that they have there. So uh, Patriots, I thought, were a winner in that. What do you think? Yeah, again, the Patriots, I'm in no position to question anything they do because 
Belichick, <laughs> you know, is smarter than I am. But Sanu is a great blocking receiver as well, which, you know, when you're looking at receivers, you don't necessarily, from a fan standpoint, take that in consideration. New England is a run-first offense now, and having a receiver like Sanu who can block at that second level um, is going to help immensely on the offense. Plus, where does Brady make his bread and butter? It's the timing routes, the short timing routes more than anything. So adding a compliment to an Edelman with Sanu uh, gives them another option. They don't have that Gronk anymore. So they needed to find somebody else, some other way of doing that. And Sanu is going to be, I think, fit that role pretty, pretty well. Yeah, I like that he's the size of a tight end, but he's not, you know, he's not going to play tight end, but he's, he's a big boy. So um, pretty excited to see that. If you're a Patriots fan, uh, another big another big weapon for Tom. The Niners, who are playing right now as we speak, uh, they picked up Emmanuel Sanders. You know, I'm going to say they're a winner with, in, in this deal, but only I'm going to put an asterisk beside it because Sanders is 32 years old. Yeah. He's coming off a torn Achilles. Um, he slowed down a tad. He's often injured. Um, he, that's been through the last three years. He's had a lot of injuries. Um, winner. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 uh, the 49ers have had no one to throw to aside from George Kittle. I think they don't rank very high in, in terms of passing. So it's going to help their system. He knows Kyle Shanahan's system from his days in, uh, in, uh, Denver. A winner. What do you think? Is he, is he a difference maker? You know, can he stay healthy? If he doesn't stay healthy, they've given up a pick. What do you think? Uh, you're gambling on any player you get. I mean, same with, you know, Ramsey and whatever. You're, you're gambling with players' health. You never That's never guaranteed, so you can't really – you don't take that into consideration unless it's a reoccurring injury or a head thing that you can predict, but you never know when a guy's going to get hurt. That being said, the Niners are in a position now and before trade deadline that they're undefeated which is a surprise across the league. Their defense is playing above what I thought they, they would be. Um, they're in a, you know, a division that they can make a run with it. So they need to give Garoppolo another weapon. Uh, you talk about Kittles. He just scored the touchdown to tie it right now. I thought I saw him get hurt earlier, which he did, but he's back. So, you know, tough kid, but uh, throw a Sanders in there. And then that opens things up for that. Uh, uh, was it Pettis is the other guy. And then, um, you know, and they throw to their backs a lot. They have a really pretty, a, a very good running game with Breda and Coleman. And, um, you know, their defense has shown that they're ready to play. They needed to boost up their offense a little bit because at 7-0, and you're making a run. You're never like, yeah, let's just see what happens. You're 7-0, and yeah. now it's time to go. So they got a pretty decent receiver who has a lot of potential, a lot of upside if he stays healthy and, and, and picks up everything for a, a third-round pick. You know, in 2020. I saw enough of Emmanuel Sanders. Pittsburgh actually ended up, you know, having to make a decision between Emmanuel Sanders and Antonio Brown back in the day when one of those two guys was going to get a big contract. So, I mean, they stuck with Antonio Brown. The rest is history. You know, seven straight seasons of 100 yard, 100 uh, receiving uh, receptions. Sanders was no slouch. I mean, he was a big uh, component when uh, with Manning and with Demarius Thomas when uh, they won the Super Bowl, and even the year that they didn't win when Seattle pumped them. You know, they were a good offense. So, uh, good pickup, like you said. You can't predict injuries. You can't trade on injuries. So, I just thought the Achilles for a wide receiver is always a tricky one, but um, we'll see how that pans out. Ravens, I thought they were a winner. They added Marcus Peters. They didn't really need to do too much. They're they're playing good quality ball. 
Marcus Peters, first game with the Ravens, gets a pick six. I mean, so he's already made an immediate impact. I don't think in that system with that coach and that coaching, um, the group of coaches he has, certainly on defense, I don't think they'll allow him to get too crazy. You know, like uh, the, the rumor is Marcus Peters is not an easy guy to coach. In Baltimore, you don't really get away with that. Um, so, you know, he's got Earl Thomas right behind him to keep him in his place. So I like the pickup for, for Baltimore. Unfortunately for my Steelers, that's going to be uh, a real tough, this tough division. Um, and the Ravens are now two games up on everybody. So what do you think about Marcus Peters joining the Ravens? Yeah. I mean, he's already proven benefits when he went pick six game one. You know what I mean? Yeah. They need that kind of thing to compete against the Patriots. So I'm excited to yeah. see this game this weekend. That's, that's going to be a great game. That's that's the game of the weekend, if you ask me. Um, and then my last winner is a surprising winner. Put the Dolphins as a winner. Why, you ask? Because they have 14 picks in the next draft, two of them being compensatory. And those compensatory picks could be as high as three, uh, the third round, I, I should say. Um, plus, they have an extra first and an extra second in 2021. So they can reload and, you know, you talk about rebuild. Holy cow. They can do this in a year and a half. They better be so, putting uh, a lot of effort and resources into doing your research and watching college football and making sure these guys are making the right picks because you are setting yourself up. You know, you're not building off of people who have proven themselves. You're building off of guys coming out of college. And we both know that's not a guarantee. So if you don't make those right picks, this is all for naught, and you're back in the same thing. You pick Ryan Leafs and uh, Jamarcus Russells, hey, you're worse off than you were before. So yeah, absolutely. At this point, absolutely, you should be. There should be a strategy there. There should be guys you're identifying are ready to come out. Um, there is a lot riding on these next couple drafts for the Dolphins, and I'm going to be following pretty closely. And let me tell you, I, I, there was a little bit of a, I mean, I think the Raiders were in a very similar situation this year. No one was really sold on the Raiders top four picks. They had a lot of picks this year. Obviously they accumulated a lot of picks. Um, and then, you know, the, some of their choices were a little questionable that so people expected them to take a certain guy here, a certain guy there. And they didn't, they went sort of went off on their own board and uh, you know, whether that works out or not, it's looking like it's, it's kind of sort of working out for the Raiders. They didn't blow some of those picks, but yeah, man. You got a lot of picks. Hopefully, they do something right with them. I'm hoping. I think the league and the AFC are better when Miami's a good team. Um, they're a big market. Um, they're fun to watch. They need to go back to those friggin' retros permanently. We're just going to touch upon the losers here, Brock. And I don't spend a lot of time with losers, so we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about these losers. But I thought um, the Bengals were losers. They benched Dalton for this week. They could have traded him. He's a, he's going to be a, a UFA at the end of the year. Why not get something for him? Why not deal him to a, a team that needs a quarterback, even if it's a backup, uh, and get something for him? It didn't make any sense to me. And Dalton asked for a trade. He knew about uh, the benching before the trade deadline, and his agent said, "Deal me then. Uh, thanks for your time. Thanks for the really? the service, but I want to go." What are the Bengals doing with with this? It's questionable. Uh, like one hundred percent. I don't know why you would. Hang on to him unless you're, unless you have somebody who is close to retirement or is getting older and they're like, yeah, you know, I got three years left in my contract. I'll help you groom this guy. I'm still getting paid. I'm still, uh, you know, second string, let's say. But 
When you have a guy who's going to be gone at the end of the year anyway, I don't understand what the Bengals are doing with A.J. Green either. Like, why is he not on there? Anyway, we'll see. Maybe he comes back this year. I don't know. I don't know. The Bengals are, are an anomaly at this point, and, and nothing they're doing is working. So I just don't know. I can't see what their game plan is. I don't understand what their game plan is. It doesn't make any sense to me. You know, the uh, the Bengals fall in that category of the L.A. Chargers. You know, on paper, there should be no reason why they stink. But yeah. then again, there's plenty of reasons why they stink. And you and I discussed it in the UC preseason. You only go so far as your offensive line. And the Chargers and Bengals can't block for shit. They certainly can't block. From guard, center, guard, it's like you just blow up any play if you if you just can't stop those guys from there and i think the bengals again are suffering from you know the the losses of uh, andrew whitworth and some of these guys have been blocking for for the last few years are no longer there and they didn't they they haven't the adequately same. replaced them so since whitworth you know, that's, left they haven't been the same right i i feel like the the left tackle position for them has been a real issue and uh anyway um Stupid Bengals, uh, very very stupid. I, I I just don't understand why they wouldn't deal them. I, I had the Eagles on here as a loser only because they didn't do anything on D, and uh, I thought they needed some defense. There was some talk that you know they needed a receiver. Well, they need a guy to blow, take the top off the defense. Deshaun Jackson will come back at some point. Exactly. Um, but they didn't do anything, and I thought they their defense is suspect right now, especially the um, the second line. I mean, I, I, find, I feel like their linebackers are giving up too many big plays to tight ends. So I have them on my loser list. We don't have to spend a whole ton of time on it, but you know, what do you think that, about that? They uh, got linebacker from the Browns, Avery. They got him. I don't know yeah. if that's a, yes. you know, a, a huge upgrade or not, but you know their linebackers are uh, a unit that could use some boost, and maybe Avery brings that to them. They an undisclosed 2021 draft pick too. So it didn't cost them anything. Because the fifth round or something like that. So um, that's fair. I thought the, you know, I thought the Browns kind of losers in this, uh, in this scenario too, because I, but I'll put an asterisk beside them because I think they really tried to get Trent Williams. Um, and the uh, Washington Redskins just gave the huge middle finger to the whole league. Really just, I don't know what they're doing with this guy, but you know, uh, I read an article, a really interesting article today about how four or five years ago, they found a mass in Trent Williams. It was cancerous, but they told him it wasn't that serious. And then he almost lost his life, but they didn't really, it was crazy. You, you look up this article. It's nuts. Really? He's pissed off with the Redskins, how they handled that situation, how they've handled his contract, how they handled his whole, whole career. Really? Ooh, this was God. a chance to maybe, you know, give Trent Williams, the man, another chance somewhere to a team that really need him. The Browns need tackle help because um, Mayfield is just struggling. But, you know, they didn't make it work. Um, so Nate Solder was out there as well, um, you know, from the from the Giants. Uh, again, they didn't address their need. Maybe they just think that, you know, at two and six, they're not. This is the lost, lost season for them and they'll they'll draft and rebuild again. Or I don't know what the Browns are really thinking right now, but they're on. They're percolating. The kettle's boiling, and you can kind of feel the tension. Beckham's being a little bit more demonstrative on the sidelines. We talked about this, Brock. You and I both mentioned that if things don't go well after five to seven weeks, let's see how Beckham handles the situation and how Mayfield. Mayfield walked out of a presser the other day, uh, abruptly, I might add, saying, telling the guy that was the dumbest question he had ever heard, and he just sort of walked off. So, like... Things are percolating in Cleveland, and they didn't really do anything to address it. So what do you think? You know, OBJ has been pretty quiet for the most part. Now, 
you know, it's not getting any better. They're getting, you know, again, some tough matchups with the Patriots last week and the Broncos this week. Um, so he's in tough and he, you have people. So different NFL analysts that listen to are starting to almost encourage OBJ to say, Hey, maybe it's time you lose your shit. Maybe it's time you start speaking up. Maybe it's time you Stefan digs it with your quarterback <laughs> and give me the fucking ball. You know, he did that. And the Minnesota ever since then has been on fire in terms of their passing games and their, their offense in general, you need somebody to speak up and to, you know, light a fire under somebody's ass. And OBJ is the perfect candidate to do that. So, Hey, I, I'm in the same thinking as some of these other guys say, look, it's time. You gotta, you gotta speak up. Say, just throw me the damn ball. I don't care what my matchup is. I'm elite. So give it to me. I'll get the damn ball. Whatever. Things I've seen for out of the Browns. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry, I'm still dealing with a bit of a cough here. Things I've seen out of the Browns. He's not accurate um, this year anyways. He's been really inaccurate. You know, he's throws, throwing uh, balls behind guys. Um, he's not even really given his receivers a chance to make plays uh like their balls are so far off and teams are doubling they got a guy over on obj you know so he's relying on landry i think the browns are a little overrated in terms of their talent i don't think landry's a top tier wide receiver i'm not sold on any of their tight ends and their slot guy has been non-existent so the one thing they did re- do really well against doing was they ran the ball pretty well for how well new england plays the run chubb looked pretty good <laughs> Yeah, he looked good until he got within the 10 on a 50-yard run and fumbled the ball. Hold on to the damn ball, kid. As <laughs> soon as somebody's ball, supposed kid. to put two hands on the ball, and you just can't afford to do that. The Browns actually played pretty well against the Patriots. I, I thought so, too. You I know? thought so, too. But they killed themselves with the fumbles, with the, you know a couple of stupid turnovers and penalties. You say, well, shit, you're, you cannot afford to give those away. Anyway, I think that Cleveland's offensive coordinator is a little bit outmatched too. I don't. I yeah. haven't been very impressed with that. And I don't know. He's trying to. It seems to force like a square peg in a round hole kind of thing. You need to adjust to where your team is, what their skill sets are, what they're doing well at this point, um, and use your resources to the best of their abilities. And I don't feel like he's doing that. He's hoping that they snap out of it and they come into. They, they fit into that hole he's trying to do, but it's just not working. We're seven, eight games in or whatever. You need to adjust accordingly and do whatever the fuck it takes to get in there. Just like the, the Ravens did last year with Lamar Jackson. He wasn't a guy who could air it out, but he was a guy who was winning, and they tailored their offense accordingly and said, you know what, these are our strengths, and we're going to cater to our strengths and minimize the errors in our, uh, our shortcomings, and they did very well. Let me tell you something about you brought up a great point about Minnesota and Stephon Diggs and I thought putting Kirk Cousins under center 60% of the time, you know, uh, committing to Dalvin Cook and the run game and having play action just opened up Stefan Diggs so much more than when just sitting Kirk Cousins back there out of the shotgun knowing you're going to pass it. The, the deception that uh, Kirk Cousins and the, Miami, uh, the Minnesota Vikings have used on offense has opened up the field for Stefan Diggs. I don't know why Cleveland doesn't do the same thing. Get under center run commit to your run and play action like every t- play action from for me 
play action out of the shotgun is far less effective than it is at, from under center. And teams who are who are revisiting their their uh, playbook and adding more under center. Uh, I've never I haven't seen more under center snaps this year than I have in the last. 15 years it's 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 good i feel good about it like it's more deceptive to drop back and fake a handoff than it is to fake a handoff from the shotgun that's just my my opinion it's working it's it's getting guys open so maybe that's what they need to do maybe they need to put mayfield under center and and start deceiving the defenses more because people know when they're going to run the ball there he's under center when they're going to pass the ball he's in shotgun and that's it's like that's not. It's not 1980, folks. Defenses have evolved, so they got to help the kid a little bit. Mayfield comes from that kind of offense too, right? So, and he's you know a little bit short. Kirk Cousins is a little bit bigger than Mayfield. Mayfield, I think, would be on a little bit of the shorter side of a quarterback. So sometimes yeah. you do that anyways, just to give them a bit more space, so they're not you know feeling claustrophobic with the big guys. And got and but you're seeing more and more of those kids come out of college with those kind of with their skill sets of being in the shotgun or pistol formations, not being under center. So sometimes their footwork's not even good enough to do it. But again, you got to, I'm agreeing. I like, you got to simplify things from an offensive standpoint, run the ball, use your strength, keep the the defense on us. And then it opens things up. But, um, yeah. you know, you got to deal with what you got. And if Mayfield can't do that, then you can't do that. But there's, you, you can't be, doing the same thing over and over every game, expecting the same results. That's the definition of insanity, right? That's absolutely it. Uh, one last team to mention, and I'm, I don't, we're not going to spend a ton of time on them, but the New York Jets, um, I don't know, even know if they're winners or losers. They dealt Leonard Williams to their cr- crosstown team, like the Giants, the Giants. and uh, received a pick in return. Very interesting. Um, not entirely sure what they were thinking with that. Uh, it could be a high pick depending on how well he plays or, or how well the Giants finish. I can't remember exactly the terms of the con- of the condition, but um, we'll see what happens with that. I thought that was an odd uh, pick, uh, an odd trade. What do you think, Brock? Don't care. Yeah, we talked about <laughs> Leonard Williams being a guy that, that is on the trade block for them. Yeah, I I have no idea. I don't know. The Giants like need help everywhere, I guess. If it's a cheap one, you get it. You don't even have to move the guy. He's just here. Wear blue instead of green. You're at the same practice facility an hour later. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's, uh, I don't know. I don't uh, I don't see it as a win-loss for either. It's just a, hey, we traded. I don't think it's... I don't think it's really newsworthy. I, I think I just, I just recall what the term was. If If Leonard Williams doesn't resign with the giants the jets get like a higher pick if he does resign the jets get like a fourth round pick i can't remember exactly what it was but that was the term if he resigns with them with the giants then um then the jets will get like a third round maybe and if he doesn't the jets get a second the giants in exchange for a third round pick in 2020 and a fifth round pick in 2021 Okay, and that I think that's predicated on if he resigns. Okay, the, the, it gets better if he doesn't, or something like that. So anyway, I thought it was peculiar. I, the Jets are confusing, but again, then again, the records, the record would indicate that they're confusing. So there you have it, folks. There's our NFL roundup. We're gonna take one more quick break, and when we come back, Brock is gonna give us his five-minute college pigskin roundup, and uh, then we're out of here. So uh, we'll be right back. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight.
We are back. And that's right, people. It's the segment everybody's been waiting for. It's college football. <laughs> I love that music, Pep. That gives me goosebumps. Brock, I remember one of my favorite, and I've played a gazillion sports games on every console imaginable. One of my favorite sports games of all time was an NCAA football EA sports game. It was for my, I think it was PlayStation, not two, three, or four. It was, was like, I think the original PlayStation. extremely dominant in it? Pardon me, sorry? Was Ricky Williams in that game? I, I can't remember. I oh. can't remember. I, I would take, I think my team, I always take Notre Dame. I don't know why they weren't my favorite team. I just took them because I liked their uniforms. Um, the, uh, I just remember the offenses being so dynamic and it was, it was, a. I don't think you could lateral in NFL games. Like you could press a button and actually lateral or run options. And I just found it so fascinating. And then they actually kept track of your record and there'd be the AP poll every week which is kind of cool, right? And if you lost one game, you drop and you were virtually out of it. So you just yep. played out the season. I, I hope to hell that they come out with an NCAA 2020, which was there's some talk about it, right? There's some strong talk about it. So I, I hope it comes back because it trumps Madden 100%. It is so much fun. I remember playing oh. that. If it, I think it's the same game. It was NCAA, probably 90 eight or something we had playstation i remember we weren't allowed to use texas because ricky williams was so freaking dominant uh, <laughs> but you would play yeah exactly seasons you would uh, they had you could be a high school kid you know develop this high school kid who gets recruited anyway it's just it was amazing you know they had all the the, the school songs and anyway yeah i i really hope they come back with it me too anyway all right, we're getting into the college football roundup for those uh, who follow it. Hopefully, you're starting to get a little excited because we're getting uh, pretty close to the end now. We're at week 11. Um, hey, we got five undefeateds, right? We've got, uh, is it five undefeateds? We have uh, L- LSU, Bama, OSU, Clemson. Uh, Penn State. Penn State is undefeated. Is Oregon undefeated? I think Oregon might be undefeated Se- too. Seven and one. Uh, seven and one Baylor's undefeated Minnesota's undefeated SMU's undefeated that's Appalachian the, State's undefeated Appalachian State's undefeated and they moving up the rankings anyway week nine we just finished week nine there were some great games uh that week Florida was on a bye so I had a real good chance to focus on the other teams um <coughs> OSU at number three played Wisconsin number 13 at the horseshoe Thought, okay, maybe Wisconsin. That was your upset game of the week. Hmm. Um, didn't yeah. really pan out. We thought maybe they overlooked Illinois and uh, they were going to come back strong. They got their asses handed to them 38-7. Th- uh, um, the big upset is Kansas State beat number five Oklahoma 48-41. to uh, LSU and Auburn, for those who didn't see it, the big SEC matchup, really tight game. And uh, LSU ended up winning by three, 23 20. But Auburn played a great game. Auburn's a really good team. They, you know, lost to Florida, um, but they, they were really in the national championship talk early on and had a really strong schedule. But playing LSU that tough in LSU wasn't a night game. I don't know why it wasn't a night game, but. They played them extremely well. Just a question. I have a question yep. for you. I um, I think I read this. And I don't think I dreamed it. That that upset, that Oklahoma upset, uh, 
their quarterback came out and said some some peculiar stuff in the paper about I can't remember exactly what he said. Something it was insulting his own team about it being a I, sh- I shouldn't have come here to play with a, a peewee defense or something like something to that effect. Um, really? I, I, I'm sh- I'm sure I read something to that effect. Yeah, it's Jalen Hurt, right? That's his or Jalen Hurts. Hurst, yeah. Yeah, I, he he came out in the media. Brock's looking it up right now as we speak, folks. And uh, I'm sure he said something derogatory towards his own team. I mean, that that's a big loss for them, right? I mean, that puts them pretty much out of contention. They're, they're ranked 10th now. Oklahoma, I, I like the Oklahoma Sooners, but, uh, you know, that losing to Kansas State basically all but seals their fate. You see anything? Uh, the stuff I see is, uh, inspirational sort of thing. Like climbing this mountain is not easy. It's treacherous. Hertz said everything is not smooth sailing. Um, I don't see, which again, it would be very surprising for me because he, he's really coming in there and taking over that leadership role. I know he transferred yeah. and he's hoping to win a national championship. Um, but I, uh, I'll have to look that up. Because uh, I don't, uh, I don't see anything that indicates that. I figure that would be probably a bit more within the headlines if you had somebody criticizing the defense that way, and some internal turmoil. But um, I don't see it right now. So I have to do some research. It doesn't mean you're wrong, or that you didn't hear it. But I'm gonna have to take a look at that because I didn't. Uh, I don't recall hearing that. Okay. And I feel like that would be a lot more made out of it because he's a Heisman. Front runner, not front runner, I guess, but a top five Heisman watch candidates. So if you pull some of that stuff uh, after an upset, I think uh, it would be a lot more publicized. Well, I'll, I'm going to, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing what you uh, what you found as well, but I'm going to dig a little deeper, see if I can find anything derogatory. But um, please continue with your with your outlook because I'm 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 excited to see what uh, what games are coming up this week. Ooh. Well, the biggest game last week that I really enjoyed was uh, a little Michigan-Notre Dame because you know how much I love Notre Dame. Notre Dame, number eight in the country, plays number 19, Michigan, and gets pumped 45-14. to 14. Go home. You don't belong anywhere in that top 10. Get in a damn conference. If not, see you later. That's my take on Notre Dame. I don't like it. On a second, on a side note, I bought a replacement watch band for my Apple Watch. Little plug for Apple. Um, and the guy that I bought it off shows up and he's wearing a Notre Dame shirt on. And we already agreed on like 20 bucks. I said, Oh, you're a Notre Dame fan? I said, Yeah. I said, Well, then I'll give you 10 instead of 20. <laughs> so he laughs. And uh, this was the morning of Saturday where these games were happening. He said, Oh, you got a pretty good big game this week and stuff like that. And uh, I said, you know, I said, I, I just don't like Notre Dame. I feel like you should be in a conference. And he was like, yeah, I totally agree. We should be in a conference. I don't know why we're not in a conference. You know, we need to have that consistent play. That consi-. And I was just, I was taken back. I was like, oh, wow, you really side, uh, side-blinded me stuff? there because, you know, mo- every other Notre Dame fan was always like, no, we're, we're special. We don't need a conference. We play better teams and whatever their argument is. Anyway. So it was refreshing to hear that a Notre Dame fan, a Notre Dame fan agreeing that they should belong in a conference. So hopefully more of those guys step up and they do it. Anyway, that was week nine scores, which leads to the new AP poll. 
LSU jumps up to number one. They were number two. They're up at number one now. So it's LSU, Bama, OSU, Clemson are the top four. In my Penn opinion, State at five, baby. I think OSU should have been number one. They have, I hate to say it, but they've been awesome. So we'll see how they do. But um, I'm surprised they haven't jumped one of these two SEC teams. Um, anyway, they will next week. But uh, so Clemson four, Penn State's five, Florida moves up to six, Oregon moves all the way up to 11, uh, to seven from 11. They just squeaked out another win over, I think it was Washington State, I guess, or something. Anyway, I feel, I hope that they come down to earth soon. They, they're they going to get beat by somebody, I hope. Uh, Georgia moves up from 10 to eight. Utah is up from 12 to number nine. And then Oklahoma rounds out the ten, the uh, the top ten. We still have Baylor at twelve is undefeated. Minnesota is at thirteen undefeated, and SMU is at fifteen who's undefeated. Now, moving to this next week, the next two weeks are huge. There's a lot of buys this week, so LSU and Alabama are both on buys this week. They don't play, but who do they play the week after? Each other. So that's a number one and a number two in week eleven. Wow. Yeah, that one is SEC primetime, 3.30 CBS. That SEC music will be all over. All over. That's, anyway, goosebumps. <laughs> OSU is on a bye this week as well. Uh, they don't play anybody uh, next week. I think they play Maryland, which is, you know, should be an easy one. They do finish the season out with uh, Michigan and um, uh, Penn State. So those will be two tough ones. And then if they do get to the Big Ten Championship, there's a good possibility you're playing Minnesota, who is surprisingly moving up the ranks pretty good. They have a bye this week at two. That's Minnesota. Clemson plays Wolford. Whoopity-doo, your schedule sucks. I don't know how you're still up at number four. <laughs> Penn State has a bye. Um, and then they play Minnesota the week after. So, again, that's a big one. Penn State, Minnesota in Week 11. LSU, Bama, we already talked about. And actually, Iowa and Wisconsin will play uh, Week 11 as well, which are three big games that will have a very big impact on the top 10. Um, obviously, the biggest game this week, this week, November 3rd, Florida plays Georgia in the world's largest cocktail party. I know they can't brand it that way anymore because it, it promotes drinking, but it will forever be known as the world's largest cocktail party. Happens in Jacksonville, Florida, and that is a number six Florida versus a number eight Georgia. And we'll have, uh, if Florida can beat Georgia in this game, now they're six and a half point underdogs, they'll be right in the actual playoff conversation. And that excites me beyond belief, but I also feel <laughs> like it's, it's unrealistic. It's going to come crashing down at some point. I just don't think they're ready to be a playoff contender yet this quickly, but they, they've just had some good luck. They've been playing fairly well and uh, who knows anything can happen, which is why I love college football. So anyway, that's Florida, yeah. Georgia. And then the other game this week is it's SMU versus Memphis. They have Memphis is at number 24. Memphis is up and down. They're second half team. They're they're like end of third quarter, fourth quarter. I think they're probably scoring more points than anybody in the country. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how SMU holds up. They've been playing really well. And for a team who had the death penalty, essentially, um, I can't remember how many years ago now, but they're now trying to, is it 83? They're only now starting to get back into national relevancy. So 
it was such a a long journey. It's Twenty-seven for these guys. years, friends. Oh no, wait, that's thirty-seven years. Uh, 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 no, it can't be thirty-seven. My God, no. I'm losing. Tr- yeah, maybe it is thirty-seven years. Yeah, it's thirty-seven years. Crazy. Yeah, that's. Uh, and I was doing that math based on my birthday, yeah. which was a few years before that. Just a few years before that. Um. Anyway, the the fact that they're you know now within the top, well, top fifteen. That's. You know they're they're starting to ease back up, uh, so good for them. So anyway, that's a game that I'll, I'll watch or follow anyway. But really, if you're a college football fan, and you want to watch a game. It's Florida Georgia, three thirty on Saturday. I know where I will be. I hope you guys will be in the same spot, not in my house, but at your house watching all this stuff. <laughs> um, and then week eleven again. There's three huge games that are very very impactful in terms of that playoff uh, picture. And it only gets better from here. So that's the uh, the biggest news I have for college football. The other one is uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. has committed to The Ohio State University. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's... Uh, that's, a, I'm, that's I feel old now that Marvin Harrison Jr. Right. is now who we're talking about. Yeah, because... Wow. Yeah. It's uh, it's scary how fast uh, time flies, and now we're getting old a lot quicker. Man, but yeah, he committed to Ohio State, so uh, I guess Syracuse must have missed out on getting the uh, alumni discount uh, favoritism kind of thing. And uh, yeah, I don't even know if he's any good, but he's committed to Ohio State, so he's got to be decent. Well, he's probably got the pedigree, that's for sure. That's it. That's my college football take. Um, Obviously, next week I will talk about every single play. And every single minute of the Florida Georgia game. So <laughs> tune in, and I will uh, I'll diagnose everything from. You know what? We'll just uh, we'll just it'll just be Florida Georgia breakdown. Uh, we won't even talk about any of the, any other games. We'll just Florida Georgia. We'll we'll I'll watch it too, and we'll dissect every single play, every single minute. I'm you know what? I'm going to commit to watching that on Saturday. Three thirty. Come over. Said- the invite's on. You come over. I'll get cursed to bring some simple chips. <laughs> okay. And we will watch the world's largest cocktail party and I will have the sound blaring. I will have orange and blue everywhere and you will be immersed in the college football fandomonium. Oh, I I think I like where this is going, pal. Well, we'll see what happens. We'll see what how it Saturday brings and uh thanks for the college uh pigskin roundup, pal. Always a pleasure. You're enthusiasm for college football is unmatched and uh looking forward to seeing what happens you betcha i guess is that it is that our episode that's it pal that's all i got for you all right well hey we're not going out to this as much as i want to because today is a special day you know what i mean oh i know what you mean and to me halloween is not halloween without this trick-or-treat Absolutely love this song. It stood the test of time, eh? 
It's it's awesome. A shout out to the San Francisco 49ers for their uniforms they wore last last week. The Deion Sanders special. The Falcons, who also wore Deion Sanders inspired black on black with the gray pants from the MC Hammer Days. And the Dolphins for throwing the the throwbacks. Those three unis were money. The uh, Niners are up 14-7 and they're about to run it in for another score here. What a team. It's the Arizona Cardinals. All right. That's it. Uh, these little mini chocolate bars are not going to eat themselves. <laughs> and uh, my physical's not till Monday, so I don't officially have diabetes until he tells me. All right. <laughs> Peace out, brother. Good night.